<clears throat> How many of you have ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Most of you have seen, um, almost all of you. If there's a line in the movie that you recall, what would you say it was? Is there a famous line that you can remember in the movie? There's a particular scene when uh, Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump, is sitting on the park bench and he's talking to somebody and says, my mother told me that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? That's a famous line that it, uh, at least the movie made the, fa the line famous. But there's another, there's another line in that movie that's not as popular but more significant, more profound. Um, it's the scene of the movie is that Tom Hanks is walking with the love of his life. Forrest Gump is walking around with, he's walking with uh, Jenny, was, his, was his, well, his love of his life. Jenny didn't feel the same way, at least initially. But uh, in this particular scene, Tom Hanks is walking with Jenny, and he had just come home from the war. And he was talking to her about his experiences in Vietnam, telling about his shrimping business and all the stuff that they had talked about. And so he's talking to her, and she's listening, and she, they're walking side by side, and she has her shoes in her left hand. And she's listening with a smile on her face, and she's just taking it all in. And then all of a sudden, she lifts up her head, and she looks straight ahead, and she stops, and her facial expression changes immediately. And as you're watching the show, the movie, you don't know what she's looking at, but something she sees has completely changed her facial expression. And then the camera turns to what she's looking at, and it's a picture of this old, dilapidated house that she used to live in when she was a young girl. And then she starts walking towards that house, and then she gets maybe about 25 yards from the house, and she stops, and she just stares at the house. Tom Hanks is in the background, and she stares at the house, and you can tell that she's thinking about the past. And she takes her shoes all of a sudden and just starts throwing her shoes at the house. And she starts screaming, recalling what happened in her past. And then she goes for the rocks and she starts taking rocks and she starts throwing rocks at the house. Smashes the windows. Some of the siding on the house starts falling off as she's throwing these rocks at the house. And then after throwing so many rocks, she collapses to the ground in exhaustion. And then Tom Hanks walks up to her kind of kneels down beside her and says, sometimes there's just not enough rocks. And I share this story because of Jenny and what she did when she saw that house. She was clearly affected by something that happened in her past. She was clearly angry when she saw that house because of what that triggered in her mind and her experiences in the past. Clearly, in that scene, though it was never said explicitly, what she was showing was unresolved anger in her heart. That's what she had. She had unresolved anger, anger issues that never were really settled in her life, ever. And when she saw that house, it all came rushing back. Unresolved anger is probably something that we have all experienced at some point in our lives to certain degrees, some more than others, depending on what has happened. Unresolved anger. 
it was clearly evident in Jenny's heart. And how do you know, is the question that I think of, is how do we know if we have unresolved anger in our own hearts? How do we know if it's there? The passage we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at a person who clearly has unresolved anger in their heart. The person that I'm talking about is Gideon, and the passage we're going to look at is chapter 8, Judges chapter 8, verses 4 to 21. Um, just a, a, some context, the book of Judges is a period in ancient Israel's history that was known where the, God's people were living disobedient. They were continuously living in ways that God did not want them to live. As a result, the, uh, God allowed the, the Israelites' enemies to come to power and begin to oppress them at certain times in their history. In this particular case, God has raised up the Midianite people, the Israelites' enemies, to oppress the Israelites. When the Israelites suffered as a result of their disobedience and sin, God raised up, in this particular case, a judge named Gideon, who would then be used as an instrument by God to relieve the oppression that the Midianites were putting upon the Israelite people, God's people. Judges were not seen as uh, individuals wearing robes, rendering judicial decisions behind a bench. These were military leaders that God would raise up in order to free the Israelite people from the hardship and the oppression that they were experiencing from their enemies. Gideon is such an individual that God is going to use. And before this passage happens, God uh, used Gideon to have uh, a great victory over the Midianite people just using 300 men. So when we come to this particular passage, Gideon has just had a marvelous victory using 300 men. God was doing this. Brought a great victory to the Israelites using Gideon, using 300 men in defeating the Midianite peoples. So he has just been victorious in a battle. But now we're going to see that Gideon has an issue that he has to resolve and has to deal with. And it's unresolved anger in his own heart. For he's going to do something that God does not instruct him to do as he pursues two particular individuals. But we're not going to know why until the end. So, how do we know if you or I are harboring unresolved anger in our hearts? What does that look like? Number one, those who harbor unresolved anger in their hearts will often overreact when they feel they have been wronged, slighted, disrespected, or insulted. Verses 4 to 9. When Gideon came to the Jordan River, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over the Jordan River going from west to east. And the men who were with him were exhausted, but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the leaders of Succoth said, Are the hands or the palms of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, For this cause... Because you slighted me, because you are not doing what I asked you to do. When the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then he went up from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. 
And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. So he, Gideon, answered, also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. It was a defense tower that the city of Penuel had erected to protect the people in their community. But you see what happened. He asks for support from fellow Israelites on the other side of the Jordan River from two places, Succoth and Penuel. He says, give my weary men bread because they're helping me pursue our enemy. And they say, in all, all intents and purposes, no, we're not going to do that. How do we know that you're going to be able to defeat these two kings of Midian? Because if you don't, you know who they're going to come after first of all? Us, because we live closer to Midian than you. And so they were concerned that Gideon would not be able to do what he said he was going to do. But see, Gideon's full of himself now. He's just defeated hundreds of thousands of soldiers from Midian with 300 men. And he says to the, his countrymen, give my, give my soldiers some bread. He said, we're not going to do it. No, we, we, we're not going to do that. And his response was in, he was furious. He was irate. He threatened to beat the men of Succoth and to tear down their tower. Why would he respond that way? Do you think that was proportionate? Was his response proportionate to the original slight? It was not. Gideon is acting in a way that is out of character for Gideon. He is being slighted and disrespected. And as a result of not getting his way, he blows up in anger and makes these threats to his own countrymen. There's something going on in Gideon's heart that is not right. Have you ever experienced a time when you saw someone or had a conversation with something and all of a sudden maybe you experienced it yourself? Maybe someone disrespected you. Maybe someone slighted you. You didn't get what you wanted and you, you blew up. Or maybe that happened to you. And you say, why, did, why is this person responding this way? Why are, they, why are they getting so angry over something that doesn't seem to be worth getting so angry about? Or maybe you got angry over something that didn't seem to be necessarily, it didn't necessarily warrant that kind of overreaction or a response. This is what's happening to Gideon. He is overreacting to a personal slight. And when that happens, it is a sign that someone is dealing with unresolved anger within their heart. Author and church minister Ed Roll writes, When I was young, a neighboring family came down with a devastating illness. Several of the children died, and the rest suffered permanent brain damage. What investigators discovered was the father had found a truckload of discarded seed corn and fed it to the family hogs. The corn, which was not intended for animal feed, had been treated with something so bugs wouldn't eat it before it germinated. The hogs ate it and seemingly with no ill effects, but when the family hogs became the family breakfast, the family was poisoned. It seems that many substances, pesticides and heavy metals like lead and mercury, do not pass through the digestive system, but remain in the body always. In tiny doses, the effects are minimal, but over time, the effects are horrible. That's what happens to many of us. 
Every day we ingest minute amounts of conflict and disrespect. No big deal. We just think, just blow it off. But we don't. Instead, it gets buried in our liver, and 20 years later, we go ballistic over some, skateboard, some kid skateboarding in the parking lot and wonder, where did that come from? Those who harbor unresolved anger in our hearts, in their hearts, will often overreact when they are slighted, disrespected, insulted. It's a telltale sign. Secondly, those who harbor unresolved anger in their hearts will often be driven by a pursuit to get even. Verses 10 to 12. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were at Karkor, and their armies were with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east. For 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Noba and Jagbaha, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. When Ziba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and routed, literally frightened the whole army. You see what he has done? Gideon is on a pursuit to get two individuals, the kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna. And he travels to a place called Karkor. Karkor from, from Penuel, which was the last place where Gideon was, is anywhere from 80 to 100 miles. So he's going to travel 80 to 100 miles to go find these two individuals. That's a long trek for two individuals. But notice what happened. He goes by a, circul- a certain way. He, goes by, uh, he went on a, on a road on, of those who dwell in tents, and he attacked the army while the army felt secure. Now, why does the army feel secure? Well, because Zeba and Zalmunna and the army are either in Midian, their homeland, or very close to it, and they don't think that, that, that Gideon is going to chase after them. They underestimate his desire to seek revenge. But that's what he's doing. You don't realize that's what he's doing. That's what's going on here. He is, there is no place and no distance that is too far for him to pursue these two individuals, which tells us that unresolved anger that is harbored in the heart's of an individual will often travel great distance and will 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 travel will pursue those who have hurt them in order to get revenge that's what's happening here thirdly those who harbor unresolved anger in their hearts will often keep a, a record of those who wrong them remembering their hurtful words and actions verses 13 to 17 Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle, from the ascent of Harris, and he caught a young man of the men of Succoth and interrogated him. And he wrote down for him, that is, the young man who he caught, wrote down for Gideon, the leaders of Succoth and its elders, 77 men. Then he came to the men of Succoth and said, here are Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your weary men? 
And he took the elders of the city and the thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. Then he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Did you see what he did? He actually had the men that he caught wrote down and record the list of names in the city of Succoth. He's writing down the names that did him wrong. And he says, I did so because I remember every single word that you said to me when you insulted me. That's what he's doing. And that's exactly what those who harbor unresolved anger in their hearts will do. They will keep a record, a mental record, of the people and the things that they said and did to us. We replay them over and over again in our minds. That's what unresolved anger will do. You keep replaying that insult, that hurt word that was said to you many, many years ago or a few weeks ago, whenever it was, and it keeps being replayed in your mind. That's what he's doing. Those who harbor unresolved anger in their hearts will often keep a mental record of those who wrong them and remember their hurtful words and actions. You never let it go in your heart and in your mind. And we still don't know why Ziba uh, Gideon is going after Ziba and Zalmunna. Why is, he, why is he doing this? And now we're going to find out why in verses 18 and 19. And the point is this. Those who harbor unresolved anger in their hearts often do so because of a painful experience that happened to them in their past. Verses 18 and 19. And he said to Ziba and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? And so they answered, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. And so he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, I swear to God, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. Now we know why he's going after the men the way he is. He holds these two individuals, these kings of Midian, responsible for killing his brothers. He was seriously hurt and in pain and was greatly angered over what these two kings had done to his brothers. We don't know how long ago this happened, but apparently these two kings of Midian had ordered some kind of an attack on the Israelites, and his brothers fell victim. And he never forgot it. And the reason why the author presents us this information at this point of the story is to, is to, is to have a a profound impact on the reader as he comes across this. He's supposed to be reading the story, wondering why Gideon is acting the way he's acting. And then we find out it's because his brothers were killed many years ago. And he blows up in anger, pursues them, and keeps replaying in his mind every time he was hurt and insulted and slighted. If the reaction or overreaction is out of proportion to the problem, be warned, unresolved anger beneath the surface is beneath the surface, and it has nothing to do with the issue at hand. It is, if this is a problem in your life, you may be simply be reacting to someone or something in the present that is triggering a memory of someone or something in your past that caused you pain. And more than likely, you're not even making the connection. 
If you notice that you blow up for some reason and you don't know why you're doing so, you're getting mad over something that's trivial, that doesn't really warrant such an angry response, it could be because you have unresolved anger in your heart. Or if you're around someone who just blows up for no reason and you don't, it doesn't seem to make sense to you why they're so angry. It seems to have no connection or relation to the issue at hand, but they blow up. It could be because something happened in their past that you may have no knowledge of. And the person themselves may not even be aware of it. Those who harbor unresolved anger in their hearts will often do so because of a painful experience that happened in their past. It happened to Gideon. It happens to you and to me as well. Finally, those who harbor unresolved anger in their hearts may end up personally carrying out acts of vengeance that should be reserved for God alone. Verses 20 and 21. And Gideon said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. So Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and kill us. For a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Interesting. Gideon, because of his unresolved anger, actually lashes out and takes punishment and judgment and vengeance into his own hands. It is not an accident that this story ends by suggesting that Gideon had taken the crescent ornaments off of the camel's necks. What's the significance of that? Taking the ornaments of kings, which was what kings of uh, the, uh, Ziba and Zalmunna were. They were the kings of Midian, and they were riding on these camels. After killing these kings, Gideon takes these ornaments and he takes them for himself. In so doing, he's expressing, not in word, but by his actions, he's a king. And yet vengeance is only reserved for one who is truly king, the king of kings, the Lord Jesus. It says in Scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's what the Lord says in Deuteronomy 32, 35. Paul writes in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Gideon doesn't do that. He decides to take vengeance into his own hands, but he does not have the right to do that. Whenever we take vengeance and execute judgment as we see fit, we're basically, through our own actions, usurping the throne. That's exactly what we do. When we take vengeance into our own hands, we're saying with our actions, not with our words, where we move God off the throne, we will put ourselves on it, and we will execute justice ourselves. That's what's happening here. This is what unresolved anger will lead to. It will cause us to overreact whenever we're wronged. It will cause us to pursue to get even. It will cause us to replay those words and the pain, have a mental list of all those who hurt us. Oftentimes it's because of something that happened in the past, and if we're not careful, we will actually execute judgment ourselves, however form we see is justifiable. That's what happens to us when unresolved anger takes root in our heart and our anger is never dealt with.
That's what happened to Gideon. That's what can happen to us. There's three points I want to uh, emphasize in this passage with regards to unresolved anger. Number one, unresolved anger, when it is unleashed, is very difficult to control, if not impossible. Right? Remember when Gideon told the people who lived at Penuel, he says, when I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Right? That's what he said. So he does. He gets Ziba and Zalmunna. He comes back in peace, and what does he do? He tears down the tower, and what else did he do? He killed the men of the city. Why did he kill the men of the city? You know why? Because in his rage of tearing down the tower, he unleashed anger. And once that anger was out there, he couldn't control it anymore. And he went above and beyond that which he said he was going to do, and he ended up killing the men of the city as well. He couldn't control the anger. And anger that is unleashed, unresolved anger that is unleashed, will often be uncontrollable by those who let it go. Once we get angry and we express it, it's very hard to rein it back in. And Gideon has showed us that. Secondly, unresolved anger will have a profound impact on the person who is angry. It will affect you. It will change you. In verse 20, remember there there was the occasion when Gideon told his son Jether to rise up and kill the kings of Midian which was a rather strange demand. It reminds me that when you're angry, we often make strange or unreasonable demands on people. But it's interesting to note that Jether, his son, didn't want to kill the, the, the kings because he was afraid. He was just a youth. And what's interesting is that how Jether, his son, is behaving now is how Gideon used to be when God first called him. Gideon was a man who was fearful. He was insecure. He didn't trust God. What you're seeing in Jether is how Gideon used to be. But when you look at Gideon now, he's no longer the person he once was because unresolved anger in his heart changed him. And it will change you and it will change me if the anger is not dealt with. It will have a profound impact on you and on me. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun, one author wrote. To lick your wounds and smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back, in many ways it's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. I heard a saying, it goes like this, anger is like an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to the person on whom it is poured. Unresolved anger will change you, and it won't be for the better. Thirdly, unresolved anger will have a varied and profound impact on others. Look at what happened as a result of his unresolved anger and how many people this impacted. His fighting men were weary and exhausted. Those who were closest to him, those who were loyal to him, were weary and exhausted because of his personal pursuit to seek after two men whom he wanted to take personal revenge of. 
And if you've ever been around someone who is angry and you're around them all the time, you get tired and you get weary of dealing with it. Isn't that true? Weary, being exhausted, anger can do that to us. His son was fearful. Jether received a command from his father who had unresolved anger to kill these two kings of Midian, but he didn't want to do it because he was afraid. Unresolved anger that is not dealt with can cause fear in those who are around you. There are many homes today where husbands and wives in households, homes, where people are afraid to be around someone who may explode at any moment because they have unresolved anger. Fear is real and is one of the emotions that people experience around those who have unresolved anger. The leaders of Succoth were in pain and they were wounded and they suffered humiliation. The men of Succoth were beaten by Gideon. They actually suffered pain and they were humiliated being publicly beaten. Anger can do that. When you're the object of someone's unresolved anger, you can be humiliated and feel humiliated and you experience deep wounds. That's what happens. And finally, the people of Penuel were grieving and were left vulnerable to the enemy. Remember, in Penuel, he destroyed their tower, and the tower was a defense tower. The purpose of the tower was to protect the city, but now that the tower is gone, the people were vulnerable. And anyone who is the object of unresolved anger can be made to feel vulnerable. And they could also be grieving and in mourning. These are the outcomes of what happens when unresolved anger is left unchecked and is not dealt with. In his book, It Came From Within, Andy Stanley tells of a man whose faith sprang back to life once he dealt with his anger. Stanley writes, I met Joe at Starbucks. He was sitting in one of those overstuffed chairs with headphones and a scowl that said, don't anybody come near me. Everything about his countenance and his posture communicated anger. So when I saw him, I avoided eye contact and went on about my business. As I was waiting for my soy latte, Joe approached me and said, aren't you Andy? At that particular moment, I wasn't sure if I should be Andy or not. Somebody gave me one of your CDs, he said. I've been listening to it, but I've got to tell you, I have a real problem with God and the church too, for that matter. Joe had been through two difficult divorces. His first wife had been sexually abused as a child and was never able to face the issues involved. After 30 years of marriage, the memories of abuse surfaced and eroded their marriage, which ended in divorce. His ex-wife passed away suddenly two years later. Joe then remarried, but after three years, this too ended in a heartbreaking divorce. Joe was lonely and a recovering alcoholic. There was no evidence of the existence of God as far as he could see. I got Joe's phone number and connected him with one of our pastors, John Woodall. John called Joe, met him for coffee, and struck up a friendship. After that, that was the last I saw of Joe for a while. Three months later, I was sitting in that same Starbucks talking to a, friend, a student pastor from another church when walked in Joe. When he saw me, he headed straight for my table. The first thing I noticed was that he was smiling 
The second thing I noticed was that he was carrying a Bible, a notebook, and a book on marriage. I'm getting remarried next week, he announced. I wasn't sure what to think. To who, I asked. To Susan, he exclaimed. Susan was his ex-wife. Susan and I are getting married. John is doing the wedding. I could see in Joe's eyes that something remarkable had happened, and it had. Over the course of several meetings with John, Joe found the courage to quit blaming and instead take a look at what was rattling around in his heart. He had been an angry man, with reason to be angry, but like so many, Joe had no idea what to do about his anger, and his unresolved anger had eroded his faith to the point where it was almost non-existent. John had helped Joe's faith come to life. With his renewed faith came the motivation he needed to address other issues in his life. The transformation was so remarkable that Susan noticed and began asking questions, and soon after she put her faith in Christ. The week before Susan and Joe were married, John baptized her in one of our morning services. I share this story because if you're dealing with unresolved anger or if you know someone who's dealing with unresolved anger, this story does provide hope that there are answers and there is help. It's interesting to me that this passage does not say what you should do if you have unresolved anger. It just shows you what it looks like and the results of it because unresolved anger is a very deep, painful heart issue and you can't just solve it by just giving three points on a sermon. People who have unresolved anger must be able to, willing to, to talk about what's going on, their hurtful past, know or understand where this anger is coming from. They may not even know. And so it's an invitation for those who are dealing with unresolved anger to speak to those pastors, spiritual mentors that you have respect for, to go into their office, come into my office, talk about it. Many people who have unresolved anger don't want to talk about it. It's too painful. Maybe they just don't trust people enough to open up their deep wounds. But there is help, and there is hope for you to deal with these issues. But one must be willing to acknowledge that you have it. And too many, unfortunately, are unwilling to do so. But there is hope. People do care. And if you're willing to talk about these issues, you have a pastor that is willing to listen. You know, Jesus cares. He knows your heart. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you've experienced in life. And he loves you too much just to sit to allow you to fester and suffer the consequences of your own unresolved anger. He wants you to go to him. Go to those whom you trust and talk about it. As painful as it may be, it's something that you will have to do to deal with this anger if it's something that you're dealing with or someone that you know is dealing with. Jesus came to the cross and came into this world because he loved you and me and saw us floundering in our sin. Whether our sin is anger, unresolved anger, or whatever it may be, 
God did not leave us flailing about. He entered into our world and into our experience and was willing to engage with us and take upon himself the wrath of God because of our sin so that we would not have to experience that. That is the love of God expressed in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And it's with that thought we come to the table that Jesus Christ came for you and for me so that we could have that peace with God and we can allow him to minister to us through his people when we need that ministry. On the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper had ended, he also took the cup and he blessed it. And after giving thanks, he said, this is the cup of my new covenant. The cup of my blood which is to be shed for you so that your sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The cup that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. For you and for me, we will partake together as one people in Christ. Diverse, yet one. I'm going to go around and pass the elements. I'm going to ask that you just hold on to your elements so that we can partake of them together. The body of Christ, which is broken for you and for me, let us partake together. The blood of Christ, which is shed for you and for me, let us drink together. Would you please pray with me? O oh, gracious Father, you are a gracious Father. And we thank you for the meal that we have shared with you this morning. We are your children, your sons and daughters that have been adopted into your family through faith in Jesus. And Lord, we just ask that the meal that we have shared will nourish our hearts and our minds, that we would be drawn nearer to you. And Lord, we ask that we would allow ourselves to be ministered by you, that you would minister to our hearts and our minds and our spirits that you would continue to meet our needs and mold us and shape us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, we do love you, and we are blessed to be called your sons and daughters. And we simply ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts to make us more like you in our, in our spirit, in our heart, in our mind, in our lives, Lord. Bless each and every single one of us this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I will ask if you would please stand for our closing song, if you are able. The Wonderful Cross.
wonderful, isn't it? The cross is wonderful. No matter what happens, no matter what you have gone through, whatever pain or loss you may have experienced or may be experiencing, the cross demonstrates to you and to me that he is not angry with us and there's nothing that's going to cause us to separate ourselves from him. He has taken us in the wonderful cross. He loves you. Be, have that on your mind this week. He loves you, died for you, and for me. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. And go in peace. Amen.